Happy Father's Day to all of you fantastic and phenomenal dads out there, including my great one, Hubert Patrick Brennan. Sure, he's listening tonight, as he does every Sunday night here on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making relationships the best they can be. Tonight, I will be talking about reaching nirvana together. (laughs) That music was appropriate for that. Uh, Also going to be talking about sexual communal strength. That may be a new term for you. The problem with the morning after pill for young girls in England and also some of the barriers that women face when they try to get contraception or appropriate contraception at different times of their life. Mark Smith, who's a clinical psychologist, will also join me to discuss the complexities of relationships in the latter half of the hour. And then at the end of the show, I want to share with you a a story that's uh, dear to my heart about a man who is a father, was a father, um, who was probably, quite possibly, the most selfless and greatest father I have ever met in my entire life and the gift that he gave to his children. Also, I will be discussing how sometimes people say that I don't like men, and that was said on Facebook this week. Others say that I empower men. What do you think? You can always give me a call. Let me know, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Be careful. I've also been accused of flirting with the male callers, so <laughs> get ready. Um, I try and educate about sexuality from a medical perspective. I do have a little bit of uh, competition upcoming, and that is Brody Jenner has announced his new sex show. Uh, good evening, Luke. How are you doing? <laughs> Did you hear about Brody Jenner's sex a show? Competition now. A little competition for well, Momo. That's, that's yeah. always healthy, though. <laughs> hey, it's just fine with me. No problem. He is calling himself, which I wish I'd thought of this, the sex connoisseur. Ooh, I like it. Okay, that's that's classy. <laughs> yeah, know, thank you. Um, yes, but I can guarantee he'll be no replacement for you. Oh, okay. you're very kind. You're very sweet. Um, well, I I try from a. I think he's going to be talking about sex and dating and relationships and I mean any. This is such a vast field, you know, I'll, I'll take any help, quite honestly. There's so much education to be had in this area and in this arena. And in fact, the media is often accused of, of exclusively sticking with sexually transmitted infections and contraception in terms of how they educate around sexuality. So I try and take a different approach. I try and uh, relate it to a person's health and I th- because I think it's very tied, tied up quite closely. <laughs> anyway, the two are tied together. You might want to tie together. Uh, but um, they're very closely related, and having good health can often relate to good sex, whether that's emotional health or physical health or relationship health and, and uh, vice versa as well. So anyway, well, thank you, Luke, for uh, doing the technical production for me this evening. Always much appreciated. Doing a star, uh, an amazing job. Uh, how about that soccer, huh? That women's soccer, uh, Canada had a star performance tonight, and uh, I'm anxious to, I'm hoping for Norway and Canada, and the reason I'm hoping for that is because Evan Pellerud is the coach for Norway, and he also coached a lot of the Canadian girls, and he recruited them, and he trained them, and there's a beautiful documentary about his work, so uh, just Google Evan Pellerud, and you'll, you can see a little bit about that. So this week, I put out uh, just a little call for, if you have a question, and the same goes for you, you can 
Email me at sextalk at cknw.com. Uh, the show is an hour long, so that goes till uh, 9 o'clock. I should remind you of that, because if you do feel like calling, if you're getting up the courage to call me on this Father's Day, uh, the, the time is limited. So uh, some people get up the courage, and it's the end of the show. But you can always call me at 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on yourself. So I put out this little caricature that I actually had drawn of myself <laughs> I'm really not a narcissist. Anyway, um, I, I preferred that to a picture of me. Anyway, so, um, and, and said, if you have any questions for the sexpert, email me in confidence. And uh, so I did get a number of uh, responses, uh, as well as this response on Facebook, this sort of hate man thing. Um, one of my patients who was around 80 years old said, I think you like men and you get along with them quite well. Anyway, I wasn't feeling uh, that I needed to be defensive. Uh, and, I, and I'm not. I mean, I really uh, try and uh, let you know the importance of looking after your health and looking after your relationship, whether you are a man or a woman, whether you're in a relationship with a man or a woman. Um, but this one comment said, after I posted this, you know, send me an email, he felt compelled to say, I think you are too judgmental against men. I, I really don't see how asking everybody to email me if they had a question and it would be in confidence that that would be judgmental. Now, I joke around that I get that response from men, but it's actually a rare occurrence. It's It's been said a couple of times, especially in relationship to my work about violence against women. But uh, the truth is, that more men listen to this show than women. I receive more emails from men, and one of the uh, some of the quick sound bites from those emails are, are things like "You rock, keep going, love the education you're providing, love how you present it in, in from a health perspective. You have a gentle approach. You are inclusive." Other sex shows have historically been female centric, but not yours. Yours is for everyone. Love what you are doing. We're, we are just trying to figure women out. And that's the one thing that's very common that I get. Well, guys, to be totally honest with you, if you want to know how I really feel, I think that guys get a bad rap sometimes. And that happens quite often. And I feel that it is time for women to begin to understand men, especially when it comes to male sexual needs and urges and how that relates to your relationship. Last year, for example, around Father's Day, I put out a call and received a great many responses uh, from this. The call was for, we always hear about women and how um, challenging it is for women. Women are, are juggling many balls in the air and they're working inside of the home, they're working outside of the home. And well, I thought, we don't really hear from men. Uh, men are kind of the silent partners in all of this. So I put out a call and received a great number of responses um asking the guys hey you're feeling the stressors of raising a family how's the job you know you're feeling pressure to bring home the bacon and, and earn a lot of money you got to earn a lot of money these days to raise a family navigating your relationship how is how is the relationship how are the uh you know is the marriage sexless is it uh are things going well in the bedroom and and i received a plethora of responses from men okay the first group i had to throw out they were inappropriate um anyway, uh but others were you know saying things like you spoke to me maureen i'm the perfect person to talk about this yes i find it stressful i have a few kids and but others said i, I need to check with my wife and you know one who had 
he was really uh, keen to do it, and, and then he said he had to check with his wife. And, and even though he was going to be anonymous, his wife said no, and then therefore he didn't do it. So, um, you know, there's lots of issues in relationships, and there's power struggles as well, and a lot of women use sex um, in the bedroom to control men, or they withdraw sex as a power tool. So, um, you know, these are some of the realities about relationships. There were others, um, other responders who wanted to talk about their sexual prowess, which is not uncommon for men, wanted to, you know, just say how fantastic they were in the bedroom. Uh, it didn't sound like they were getting much in the bedroom, um, judging from some of these responses. You know, I've done a lot of talks, and I'm, I'm coming up to about my 30th one uh, next week. I'll be at the Cloverdale Fairgrounds. and um, But I, I hear from a lot of women uh, after the talks, or I, I may ask a question. I remember I did a talk in, I think, November out in Steveston to uh, moms in their 30s and 40s, and, and I asked, there were 150 in the room, and I asked, how many have low sexual desire? And all of them raised their hand. I'm not sure what the water is, what's in the water out in Steveston. But anyway, there's problems out there. But it's not just Steveston. It's every community because women come up to me afterward and they'll say after some of the talks I give around sexual desire and differing dis- uh, sexual discrepancy, um, they'll say, you know, they've lost their sexual desire. They, um, they're not sure why. They don't know how to get it back. Um, even just talking about it can actually increase one's arousal and um, and help to get that back. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about desire discrepancy, which I've talked about before, but from a different perspective, some of the research that's been done about this. So some sexual communal strength. Uh, that is a, a new term for all of us. Uh, so when I come back, we're going to be talking about what's the best way to approach your partner when they want sex and you don't. I'm Maureen McGrath. You've been listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. <laughs> Welcome back. How can you stay a little bit longer? I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I'm a registered nurse, sex therapist, and uh, researcher, educator, speaker, uh, blogger. I blog four times a week. So you can head to back to the bedroom-blog.ca for my blogs on vaginal health, which are really important uh, to a good sexual relationship. And also uh, you can go to entertopia.com where I write about more about sexuality and intimacy. Uh, those are the, under the V-Love Diaries. And there's going to be some uh, uh, announcement about the retailers that will be carrying V-Love very shortly. So uh, I know there's been a lot of foreplay around that, but uh, we are almost there. So I should be letting you know that next week for sure. Uh, but you may hit a little bit this week as well. If you're on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at back the number two the bedroom. You can always email me sextalk at cknw.com. Give me a call here tonight if you like 604-280-9898 or star nine eight nine eight on your cell. I have Ula on the line. Hello, Ula. Hello, Maureen. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Hey, you're doing a great job. You couldn't do it any better. <laughs> <laughs> love it, I love it, I love it. Uh, and I made a really nice relationship. Lovely. Uh-huh. He's doing everything in his power to please me, but I can't get to the point where I want to go. Oh, well, I'm going to be talking about that. Yeah, so I need your help. Okay. <laughs> well, that's perfect timing. So I yes. have an email from a uh, a young woman who uh, says that it takes her about 20 minutes to experience an orgasm, and the biggest turnoff for her is when a guy says, are you close? Ugh, it's over. What do I do? (laughs) (laughs) 
that, I think I need a little enhancement or something. Well, you certainly could, and, and uh, there's certainly some ways that I'll give you. So thanks so much for the call, Ula. Could you give me uh, Could you give me a call after the show, please? <laughs> <laughs> that may cost you. <laughs> sure. Why don't you email me at sextalk at cknw.com? I- I can't. I'm blind. Okay. Yes, of course. Okay. No problem. You can leave your information with uh, Luke, okay? Okay, thanks. All right. Thank you so much. I may cover some of that in the show. Uh, a lot of my patients who have difficulty experiencing orgasm or do do not know if they have ever experienced an orgasm. They don't know what it feels like. And I was actually reviewing this with a patient this week. She was not sure if she had, she was about 26 years old, she was not sure if she had ever experienced orgasm. And that's not uncommon. Only about a third of women experience orgasm. But I think we need to get that to 100%. Um, but for a lot of women, it's it who even self-stimulation may help or or may not uh that so may not happen that way but as i say if you cannot touch yourself who can you touch and you also need to know what feels good for you uh so it may be using a vibrator to uh help you to learn what an orgasm feels like because a lot of women can actually experience orgasm once using a vibrator. So women forget about that and they don't realize that. Of course, lube, lots of lube is very helpful and and fantastic. And of course, having uh, quiet time, time to yourself, making sure nobody's going to walk in the door, making sure you don't have a lot on your mind. So because the brain is the largest sex organ. So there are lots of uh, tips to realize that. And it, and it can take some time. As as my emailer who said it took about 20 minutes for her to, her to have an orgasm. There's diff- desire discrepancy, but there's also differences in between uh, climaxing for people. And I have another email from a gentleman who said, Hi, Maureen. I really enjoy your show. I've been with my wife for over 10 years, and we have never climaxed together. It takes me about two minutes, but for her, it is a lot longer. You seem to know a lot about sex, so I thought you might be able to offer a few tips to ultimate togetherness. Thanks so much. Keep up the great work. I wish I could. Cheers, Rob. I love people with a great sense of humor. (laughs) Anyway, this is something you can work on together. There are lots of programs one can use for uh, conservative measures for slowing down uh, orgasm ejaculation. The start and stop, me- start and stop method is one where you almost get to the place of climax and then you stop um, uh, is, is one method and, and keep repeating that, uh, ensuring that... Um, a woman is comfortable and feels secure and is able to be vulnerable. There are there's some research that says if you have a, a lot of conflict in your relationship, it is very difficult for you to be totally vulnerable and experience sex in the best way possible. So it's also really important to take a step back and look at your relationship. So that's all related as well, because if something is on your mind or bothering you, that can be problematic as well. So it takes time, and it takes some effort, and it takes some patience, but it certainly can be had. Uh, I have mentioned, you know, mindfulness is important, so you want to maybe put your mind onto something outside if you're um, having, if you're a man and you are ejaculating prematurely. Um, you may want to slow things down in that way. There are, there are of course, some anesthetic agents, which I'm not a huge fan of, but um, you might be. 
because I think it decreases sensation, but that may slow things down as well. So uh, there's lots of different ways to work on this together, and that's what it is. It's working on it together, and it's it's going back for it, and it's, um, you know, do the timing or maybe take some time away from one another or apply some of the tantric sex moves may help as well. Adding porn may also increase arousal for women and help for women to experience orgasm just a bit sooner. So the idea may be to um, bring it closer together for both of you. And it will take two. Um, But if you're like most couples, your sex life has likely changed since those early days when you could barely take your hands off of one another. Um, And in fact, probably there's more time in your relationship now when one of you wants to have sex. Let me guess which one. Uh, But the other is not in the mood. But, you know, there are certain women who have higher sexual desire than men. And that does happen as well. And it's funny because I do hear from a lot of couples who will, it seems like, the women will say they have the low sexual desire and the husband has higher sexual desire. But when I hear about women who have high sexual desire, they don't seem to be, and this is just a clinical trend that I've noticed, they don't seem to be with a man who has a matching desire. They they often happen to be with a man who has lower sexual desire. So if that's the case for you, this new research study out of the University of Toronto uh, at the Relationship and Well-Being Lab may be of interest to you. So if you're all long over that honeymoon period, these research studies were very interesting, I thought. So desire discrepancy between partners is very common in relationships. I talk about that here all the time. It's a frustration for a lot of my patients. It's a, I, I get that sentiment in the emails that I receive. And in one of the studies that this group has done, 80% of people had experienced a desire discrepancy within with their partner within the past month, okay? 80% of people are having mismatched desire. A second study, couples reported some degree of desire discrepancy on five out of seven days a week. This is important because disagreements related to sex are very difficult to resolve successfully. And of course, if you think about it, men need sex. Men need sex for their health. Men need sex for their mood. Men need sex because it's a biological urge and a need. For a lot of women, it is too, but it's quite different for men. So based on that fact that the differing sexual interests are common in relationships and can be challenging, this was the what the research studies were based upon. So they did three research studies to examine how people make decisions about having sex. Okay, so we don't think about this. My show is beyond contraception and STIs. But anyway, um, so the three studies um, related to when one partner is interested in sex and then someone else, the, their partner's is low. So they wanted to test whether certain people would be able to navigate the situation of desire discrepancy uh, with better success. So the first study, half of the participants were asked to complete a writing exercise to temporarily increase their motivation to meet their partner's sexual needs. Then they asked all the participants to imagine themselves in a situation where their partner, their lover, wanted to have sex, but they were not in the mood. The second study, they asked people to tell them about the most recent time when their partner was in the mood for sex, but the participant was not. In the final study, they recruited both members of romantic couples to report on sexual desire and motivation to engage in sex or not for 21 consecutive days. Across all of these studies, they found that a person's motivation 
to meet their partner's sexual needs, which is termed sexual communal strength, played an important role. In other words, if you're a kind and generous person, uh, I think you're going to be a whole lot better. If you're empathic, if you care for the other person in a way that says you have high sexual communal strength, so you are motivated to meet your partner's sexual needs without the expectation of immediate reciprocation. So in other words, you are less concerned with the negatives of having sex, such as you're tired or you're going to be more tired the next day by staying up a little bit late. So these people focused more on the benefits to their partner of engaging in sex, such as making their partner feel loved and desired. This is really important, and I think this is key in happy and healthy sexual relationships, and we frame it a little bit. So the findings suggest that if one partner is interested in having sex but the other isn't, being motivated to be kind to help that partner's sexual needs can benefit both partners. That was very beneficial when you're kind to others. When you give, you get it back. Anyway, when I come back, we're going to talk about some of the complexities about sexual relationships with Mark Smith, a clinical psychologist. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath, and uh, I am a registered nurse sex therapist, and I'm hosting this show, the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. You can give me a call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell if you like about any sex, health, relationship problems you may be experiencing. Sometimes uh, you get into a relationship and all things seem wonderful, and they are, and that then you get down to life and the nitty-gritty and things you're dealing with. Mortgages and money and mothers-in-law and new houses, babies, businesses, and you just don't know how to navigate it. Well, to help me help you with those complexities, I am joined on the line by Mark Smith, who is a family systems therapist for individual, couple, and families issues. He is also a collaborative divorce coach and parenting coordinator. Hello, Mark. Hey there, Maureen. How are you? I'm great. Oh, good. And happy Father's Day, and thank you for joining me and taking the time out on this precious day. I'm happy to join you, yep. Thank you. So let's get to the collaborative divorce coach, because this is something I often think about. Right. Because uh, I see patients, or some of my clients will come in, and they, they will have had a first marriage, yep. and then they will jump into a second marriage. Yes. And they will never have resolved the issues, because nobody ever looks at themselves. They always have yep. a problem, and they're blaming everybody, as it's human nature to blame somebody else. So they will not get therapy or look into the issues or how they contributed to the breakdown of the marriage. And lo and behold, they go into the second marriage and they have the same problems, whether it be how they deal with finances or how they deal with problems that come up or they continue to cheat as they did in the first relationship. So how do you, do you see this and how do you help people go from one marriage to the next successfully? Well, you know, it's interesting you you mentioned that. I think most people feel the loss of their first relationship, especially if they're the one that's been left, and quickly look to fill the, the emotional void. The marital researcher would research would suggest that people should wait for a year after their divorce before entering their next uh, meaningful relationship. Many people uh, enter a meaningful relationship prior to the <laughs> end exactly. of the marriage. <laughs> so that may be why a lot of second marriages fail, because, you know, while they, uh, a person may get into the next relationship quite quickly, and of course they go through that honeymoon period where everything seems so great, 
as you mentioned, they haven't necessarily either resolved issues from the first relationship or they haven't resolved the issues that led to the uh, end of the relationship to begin with. So they have a great start, but then a couple of years in, they're back into the same kinds of problems. And as a therapist who looks more systemically at multi-generational issues, a lot of what's playing out are people's issues that relate to their family of origin as opposed to just simply their their first marriage. Exactly. Uh, and and we're all flawed as human beings. We are right. all flawed in, in yeah. one way or another and at different times given different situations that exactly. present to us in our lives. Yeah. Um, so looking back historically, because of course mm-hmm. it is Father's Day, and a lot of men, mm-hmm. who I love, uh, a lot of men have issues, have father issues. Uh-huh. I mean, a lot of women have father issues as well, yep. Yep. but a lot of men have father issues. And so what are some of those father issues that men uh, experience and may take into their intimate relationship? Well, I, 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 they play out in lots of different ways. Certainly for a lot of men, they, um, they, don't, they have fathers who are emotionally withdrawn or aren't emotionally available. And so they don't really learn, um, growing up in their family, observing their, their parents' relationship, they don't really learn how to engage emotionally in meaningful ways, either because they don't see it happening between mom and dad, or else they don't experience it in their own relationship with their father. And so the man, they, they're, they're left to look to um, other um, uh, social influencers, you know, television, movies, um, which aren't really very good models. I mean, we look at the, the the typical sort of father knows best model of parenting, or the leave it to beaver beaver model, and those things don't really apply. Um, so we don't. So a lot of men don't have good role models to begin with. So whether it's um, learning um, uh, or not learning how to be emotionally available, they're emotionally absent, or it swings the other way where they've got a parent who's quite harsh or angry. And um, that's how their father deals with their uh, marital relationship or their kids. And so the the uh, young man grows up thinking that when their emotions get intense, the best way to deal with it is to lash out and be angry. And, of course, that doesn't work very well in a, in a marriage or a relationship. And so if the father cheated, does the son cheat? Is that a, um, do they learn that as well? <laughs> well <laughs> Not you know, all, of course, because I know no. we go one way, we either say, I'm going to be exactly like my parents yeah. were this way, or I'm going to be exactly opposite. I'm not going to do what they did. If I had a nickel for every time somebody said that. Um, no, and I think what happens is is that we learn these emotional ways of being, and even though we consciously say we will never do it, we learn the emotional patterning, and it can be very difficult to break out of that. I think that's one of the values of seeing a therapist is that this objective person can help ask helpful questions, help you see your patterns, um, so you can consciously make different choices. Um, and I often think of therapy not as um, a process where a professional person fixes a broken person as much as it's more like a, uh, a coaching meta- more a coaching metaphor fits better where most people have the resources to manage life or manage relationships, but they need somebody to help keep them on course. Um, and uh, a quote that I often, or a statement I often make with clients is that even world-class athletes need coaches because they get off their game. And in relationships and in life, we get off our game. And if we can have somebody to help us to see where we're um, not functioning as best we can or we're, we're um, kind of messing up a bit, it can, it can help keep us on course. 
And and do you see a lot of men in your practice? I do see a lot of men, yeah. And and it's not as easy for men to walk into a therapist as it is for women. No, I think that for in female culture, talking about life issues and processing with other women is is commonplace. Girls grow up doing that. For boys growing up, talking about themselves and being sort of vulnerable is um, either seen to be too feminine and or you make yourself too vulnerable as a boy growing up, so you just learn not to do it. And then you're into this adult relationship where you're expected to um, engage emotionally and you don't have the emotional skills and or you don't have the verbal skills because unlike your female partner who's grown up uh, with their girlfriends and with their women friends talking and talking and talking, they just build up the, the verbal skills. And that's why often in relationships men feel at a disadvantage because they're girlfriends or wives can talk circles around them and they're kind of like a deer in the headlights. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how much, uh, now men's sexual urges and needs yeah. are quite different to women's, as you know. How much of, uh, when does sex become a drug for men to, as a way of dealing with their problems, much like alcohol or or other drugs? Well, I, I mean, I think that... Um, now, some of the research would bear out that, that males are perhaps more sensitive emotionally than females, even though we would we would tend not to think that would be the case. Well, I believe that because men are socialized to be the strong ones, to right. always, everything everything that yeah. they're going to try to do is deemed weak or, you know, anything that is an appropriate emotional response, they, they're at risk of being made fun of or right. you know, bullied or um, yeah. or not good enough. Um, yeah. So I, I can see that. So you certainly get this sort of macho male approach to sex and to relationships where they strong arm women emotionally or physically um, to get their needs met. No, and, then, and, and then you have, I mean, certainly you have men who engage more appropriately. Um, but, you know, I think that um, as human beings, our sexuality really cuts to the core of our being and our sense of ourselves. And when we get hurt, um, when our sexuality is damaged in some way, whether it's through a relationship or through trauma or something, it really affects our sense of ourselves. And I think men, um, as much as women, and maybe more so, look for validation through their sexual conquests or their being accepted by females um, sexually and, and in relationships. And uh, so there's a lot invested for men in, in being accepted by women and for being successful sexually. Exactly. And, you know, I, I don't know if you were listening earlier, but I last year I put out a call around Father's Day to say, hey, mm -hmm. guys, you know, what are some of the stresses you're dealing with, raising a family, working, yeah. money, sex, you know, your relationship, how are you navigating, how's it going, you know, are you feeling yeah. the same stressors? Yeah. And, um, you know, a, a number of them, you know, wrote in and, and referred to their sexual prowess. You know, they were, they, they wanted to come on the show and they, you know, they could host and produce their own sex show. <laughs> they were fabulous in bed, yeah. you know, like, yeah. it's like, excuse me, you know, that's not really where this is going. Yeah. Um, but, but they had this need and, and men, right. you know, will mention this quite, uh, quite frequently in, in conversation, whereas women never will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and I think that, um, well, and I think that, again, I think that female culture and male culture are quite different around sexuality. Um, so when men are talking with men, they talk about it a certain way, and when, when women are with women, they talk about, us, talk about it a certain way. When, when partners get together, 
they're coming at it with those different sort of cultures um, um, and trying to work out their their relationship emotionally and sexually. And, you know, there's a lot of variability within human beings. And so for some, it comes very easy not only to talk about it, but to have sort of successful relationships. And then there are those who, who struggle. You know, Gottman talks about, Gottman, who's this uh, marital researcher from Washington State, um, talks about the masters of relationship and the disasters of relationship. And he he studied um, uh, marital relationships for 20-some-odd years and, you know, just found that for those who are masters of relationship, it comes easily. Right. It's sort of intuitively, it's second nature to do it all well. And then um, as you go down the continuum, people struggle in terms of their ability to um, be flexible and adaptable to the relationship to be able to go with the flow. There's more anxiety that creeps in, and so the, re- the relationship becomes more rigid. Um, and uh, I find that, you know, the, the couples that I see um, who are functioning, you know, quite well, they, they're resilient, and so they don't, um, they don't have overly focused on every little misstep, whereas the couples that are struggling, every issue becomes a big issue. And... Um, Gottman's research, he uses this term uh, negative sentiment override, yes. where at a point in the relationship, um, only the negative things are really showing up on one or both partner's radars. Somebody can do something quite positive, but it just doesn't register. Exactly. Well, it's, of course, yeah. it's such interesting work, and I, unfortunately we have to go to break, but uh, yep. I loved having you on. Uh, how can people get uh, an appointment with you if they need to? Yeah, go to MarkSmithCounseling.com. I'd be happy to see people. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there struggling with relationships, and it's part of, you know, it's commonplace. I mean, nobody's perfect, and everybody's trying to be the best they can be in their relationship. Absolutely. And I always think conquering some of these troubles builds self-esteem and makes for a stronger relationship anyway. When I come back, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. You're welcome. When I return, uh, what about a pill for a morning after pill for a 14 year old? Would you want your daughter to take that? I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I am Maureen McGrath, host of the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, which you've been listening to. If you're just joining me, welcome. If you've listened before, thanks for returning. We talk about sex in the news and other sexual health subjects and, and sexuality. If you have any subject you'd like for me to discuss, you can always email me at sextalk at cknw.com. If you have a question, you can call me. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. The show ends at 9, so just giving you a little heads up there. Uh, just wanted to point out a little bit about the morning after pill, which has been officially made available to girls under the age of 16. It's called Ella One. It's in England where this has been licensed uh, for girls under the age of 16, which seems quite young. Ella 1 has the advantage of being effective five days after sexual intercourse. And uh, so this is new that is available in Europe, in part because uh, Europe needs this because the UK has one of the highest rates of teenage pregnancies in Europe. 
The latest figures show that there has been a drop of 14% in the previous year, but this is, this is I think, quite shocking. There was still, even with a 14% drop, there was still close to 5,000 pregnancies in girls under the age of 16. There were 25,000 pregnancies in girls under the age of 18, and just over half of which ended in abortion. So that is a lot of young women raising young babies. Girls below the age of 16 are under the age of consent. Um, so this is, but this is a way for them to combat teenage pregnancy, but unfortunately it has a couple of barriers. And the barriers that I see is that it's, it is expensive, number one. It's about 35 pounds uh, per pill, so that's quite a lot of money for a 13-year-old girl to afford, and she may not be able to ask her parents for that money or may not be able to come up with that money as well. Taking emergency contraception is a mature, responsible decision, but there's often barriers around it. And so the one barrier here is the huge embarrassment that young girls face when buying the emergency contraception. They have to actually speak to a pharmacist who asks them all sorts of questions, all sorts of personal questions, which I'm sure they would be tremendously shy about and afraid to ask. So unfortunately, once again, in the world, we're providing something for women, but not really, much like the low sexual desire pill, Flobanserin, that is going to be called Adia. Well, we're going to maybe approve it. That might be approved in August. It's been recommended to approve it. But we're also going to make sure that your doctors really uh, scrutinize you before you're able to take it, unlike other medications for men. And that's some of the unfairness in the world around men and women. It doesn't mean that I don't care for men. Um, I wanted to tell you about a story. Every Father's Day for the past five years, I've thought about a patient of mine who I'll call John, who is the father to three adolescent sons. He passed away all too soon, five years ago. His children were, of course, devastated and life, and believed and felt that life had thrown them an unfair curveball. These, this family had a wonderful life up until the point where he was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. His response to them was nothing short of absolutely beautiful and incredible. And when they were feeling sad and and really upset and, and it looked as though the end was imminent, he said to them, in the 45 years that I have lived, I've lived a better life than most 85-year-olds. I've been blessed with riches far beyond anyone's imagination, and I've loved every single minute. He then went on to quote Dr. Seuss. You have to remember, this guy is dying. This guy is in rough shape. He is fluid-filled. He's short of breath most times. He's going through chemo. He's trying. He's battling this like no one's business. So he went on to quote Dr. Seuss, and when he said, don't cry that it is over, smile because it happened. In other words, remember all the good times. And to me, there was no greater gift than you could give your children. So two nights before he died, there were some issues with the hospital. And so I spent the night with him in the hospital so that his wife could have a well-deserved and much-needed break. On that night, he was short of breath. His fluid filled his arms and his legs. He was in tremendous pain, and he told me he was very scared. I'm a, ner- I'm a nurse who's worked it with the better side of life, with the good times, the reproductive, when the babies are born and when people are wanting to have babies and things, there's lots of options we offer. 
But at, on this night, I myself was scared, and I remember going to the nursing station after I'd promised this wife that she could go home and rest peacefully, and if anything changed, I would call her. And I went to the nursing station, and I just completely lost it, and I said, what if I don't recognize that he has turned a corner? I, am not, I have no experience in this field. And that's where the palliative nurses came in and said, no, 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 they, we, they would know, and they would be watching over Anyway, during that night where he was in terrible shape, and, and two days later he actually passed, uh, he said to me, would you send a text to my wife and tell her, I love you more than you will ever know, and thank you for our beautiful life together. <laughs> Don't worry about me. I'll be looking down on you, making sure you continue on a beautiful path. I hope that you meet someone who loves you as much as I do, because loving you anymore is not possible. I will see you again. To me, I know of no greater sacrifice as a father and a husband and uh Anyway, to that end, think about your life and uh, how you want to live it and how you want to be remembered. When I come back, I'll tell you where I'm going to be in the upcoming weeks. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen. Who have I got on the line there, Luke? We have Art from New Westminster. Hello, Art from New Westminster. How are you? Not too bad on this warm day. Exactly. It's hot. I like it hot. <laughs> <laughs> what are the uh, risks of uh, receiving fellatio condomless? What are the risks yeah. of receiving fellatial condomless? Yes. So what are, the risks, what are the risks of a sexually transmitted infection? Yes. There's always a risk. Um, and HPV is, is a big one. Human papillomavirus uh, is gonorrhea is another one. I mean, really, the mucous membranes of the mouth make it the perfect environment to um, uh, transmit infection if there is if there is one. Okay. Okay. Thanks. So the best way to prevent STIs, of course, is to remain sexless. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but uh, we could give you a lot more, but I don't have much time left on the show. Hey, thanks. All right. Thank you for your call. Okay, so, well, we're wrapping it up. All great sex comes to an end, sometimes too quickly. So work on some of those techniques, if you will. Um, And uh, if you would like to hear a little bit more in-depth conversation about hormones, health, and V-Love, you can come to the Cloverdale Fairground this Saturday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I'll be speaking there amongst amongst many other great speakers about uh, uh, lots of different things, wills and... and, uh, Anyway, health and all that sort of thing. Uh, Also, I'm speaking at the BC Humanist Society on July 12th. Uh, You can always go to my website, www.backtothebedroom.ca. You can tweet me, at back, the number two, the bedroom. You can email me, sextalk at cknw.com. And uh, happy Father's Day to all of you out there enjoying this day. And uh, it wouldn't be nice if we honored everybody every single day. So next week on the program, I have uh, Dr. John Weisler returning. He is the cardiologist, and he is going to be talking about... Actually, I think he's coming in two weeks' time. Um, Anyway, he's going to be talking about menopause and weight and the risks to your health around your weight. So that's a subject that uh, a lot of women don't realize just how important that is. So your cardiovascular health. Remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show.